0: Hey everybody, welcome back to episode four of season two of Asking for a Parent Podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Octor here again, and it's a really great pleasure to introduce you to this week's guest. We have so much to talk about this week. Uh, Jen Hogan is one of the most prolific writers on parenting in Ireland at the moment, and she has some really interesting views about all the things that we're going through at the moment, between homeschooling, lockdowns. She's a mother of seven children, so she has all children across all the age ranges and is battling with all the challenges that 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 entails. But I was really grateful for Jennifer to give me the time and to give us her insights and to help me to answer all your questions that have come in. And a large amount of questions this week about lockdowns, mental health, COVID-19 and its impact on small children, teenagers and even young adults. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. It's Jen Hogan. On the Asking for a Parent podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Asking for a Parent podcast. Today's guest on the Listener's Questions is Jen Hogan. Jen is an author, columnist with the Irish Times, and a media contributor. And I've always enjoyed Jen's contributions to the Irish parenting narrative, as I feel she's a lot of wise things to say. And perhaps her wisdom is so good because she's the parent of about 33 children. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I often marvel at how she finds the time to do any of this stuff, but furthermore, any virtual or professional contact I've had with Jen has always been warm, insightful, and entertaining, and therefore it's a great pleasure for me to have as this week's guest on the Listener's Questions episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast, Jen Hogan. Jen, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks. So thank you for that lovely intro. That's so kind of <laughs> you. Thanks a million. And the official all. number is seven. The official number seven, is seven, seven kids. But nobody's quite sure in general how many I have, just that there's loads of them, you know.
0: <laughs> and Jen, in, how are you managing? With, and I know that's a big loaded question, mm. but to, li- to situate listeners, we're at the end of week two of lockdown three. We've completed two weeks of homeschooling, emergency education, whatever PC word you want to put on it, but mayhem, whatever. And how are you doing?
1: I'm I'm finding it really, really hard going, if I'm perfectly honest. Um I think I was overwhelmed at the beginning at even the thoughts of it again, knowing what we know, I suppose, from the last time, uh there was no novelty appeal, no novelty factor whatsoever this time. And the realities realities of trying to work from home and see to all of my kids different needs. And and there are so many different needs because the homeschooling is just another one that you're kind of adding into the equation. Once you go near a pandemic at all, there's a whole different set of demands on you. And so trying to juggle all that, they're very flat that they're, that they're not in school. And a couple of them have been particularly upset by the school closures. I think once we went to January the 11th, they already realized that we weren't going back. It was all that, that kind of fear was there. And when it was confirmed, there were a lot of tears at home, a lot of tears, whereas the first time around it was, well, hey, we've got two weeks off, two weeks, which obviously turned into was six months before they stepped back into a school again. But um, this time, I think that fear is there. So I'm trying to manage that. I am very unsuccessfully working at the same time, so I've kind of given up sleep at this rate at this stage even I'm, I'm like the iron lady although hopefully without her manner <laughs> because uh, I'm up all night and trying to get my own work done trying to deal with calls that come in in between do my radio interviews from the car peering in and kind of wildly gesticulating at the kids in the playroom window go don't you dare do this to your brother and they know the silent thing is I'm there trying to you know continue to sound professional it's really really hard the, the realities of juggling it all it's I think it's an impossible ask, a really impossible ask. I'm trying to tell myself, look, you can only do your best. But this time, I think with the message coming from schools that the curriculum will be continuing, I do fear that my best won't be good enough and that my kids will pay the price if I I mess up. So it it is really hard. You say a lot of things to yourself that you'd never say to somebody else. I think we can be a bit unkind to ourselves sometimes. and, And I know as I'm saying this that, you know, I need to kind of, get real a little bit and know that it isn't possible to do it all but I'm still feeling I have to do it all because if I don't my kids will pay the price
0: yeah I think this is a different kettle of fish isn't it Mm. lockdown three seems quite a bit I don't want to say grimmer but it is there there is a a, there's a flatness and I think you're absolutely right when you say that and I I have three kids here at home myself and there's certainly no jubilation about being off school the disconnect and the loneliness and the sadness is is real for them. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine what it's like if I had four more in there. And my God, it's a, it's some that's some achievement. And how did you get into this, Jen? Uh, not I, obviously, <laughs> Having so many kids?
1: Right, let me take you back a bit. <laughs> you didn't listen very much to biology.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you didn't listen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't. I was going to say... When a man and a woman really love each other, <laughs> isn't that how the story goes? <laughs> so you mean, how did I get into the whole parenting yes, field, yes. the whole kind of working out that? Well, I suppose like going back to actually on a personal level, having a large family was something I always wanted. So that, that side of things was something I suppose my husband, I did say it to him when I met him and we started going out. I think he thought I was joking, but <laughs> he was wrong. I wasn't. And here we go, there we ended up with um, seven, which was my magic number. And that's what I was lucky enough to, to go on to have. And I suppose I always had this absolute interest in, in the whole world of parenthood and the whole world of children. And I'm very lucky. I suppose I've got seven children, all these different ages and stages. So I'm very aware of the different challenges that all the different ages and stages are facing. And in modern Ireland, I always had even as a as a teenager growing up and in my early 20s i was always very driven by um, the idea of working within kind of the family area and children's area and i worked in education for a little while i taught children from disadvantaged areas and so i was working with teenagers who i suppose while the school that we ran was it really gave them an opportunity to have some sort of education maybe the school system had failed them or they were dealing with unbelievable challenges at home that made regular school attendance an impossibility. And it really gave me an insight into that different life that other other kids have. And um, I really wanted, I suppose, to use my voice whenever I got to have one to kind of maybe highlight that a little bit, that all of us are not in the same situation, that things are very different. And I suppose even growing up, I'm, I am I um, grew up in Tallop. And I even remember the first time really, really being aware that there was a difference um, or that maybe people were perceived differently was when I went to college. I went to UCD. And when I was in UCD, I was introduced by somebody to a friend of theirs. And they went, oh, this is Jen. She's from Talla. She's done really well for herself going to get to UCD. And I remember being gobsnacked. Absolutely. Like it was the first time I think maybe I was a little bit insular. Life revolved for me around where I came from. And I realized that actually it was unusual. Now, I know things have moved on and we're talking back in the 90s then, but it was unusual and there weren't many people from where I came from in college. There weren't many. I wasn't meeting many other people from the same area or many other people from working class backgrounds. So that side of things has always been, I suppose, in the back of my mind, it's who I am. It's where I came from. and. I I suppose I've always seen family and social issues as being very interlinked and very related. And I, I feel kids maybe don't have enough of a voice this time. We're very quick to kind of move on. We don't have a great history in this country of treating children very well. You know, we don't. The mother and babies, being back in the news, mother and baby homes, it's just part of it. We haven't necessarily always put children first. And I got I got speaking to an awful lot of parents then over, over the course of having so many children. That I got to to realise there are so many of us in so many different situations dealing with so many different challenges. And then it was eventually... Kind of cutting out lots and lots of years. Um, I had always kind of liked writing and previous jobs. I had done an awful lot of writing. I, when I was teaching, I taught English and I taught maths as well. And I continued to stay in the education field through having the kids as well. In terms of I didn't, I stopped working teaching, but I maybe did grinds and helped kids who were maybe struggling across the different, the different levels. So that kind of kept me, kept me in with that sort of thing. And then I started writing when child number seven came along. I decided to maybe start writing a little bit more and I set up, a, I actually, I set up a blog at one stage called Mamitude. That's where the handle comes from, which I, is, is. Um, I suppose it was a whole mothering with attitude. I thought it was catchy, you know, you, you think these things and then you have to send out your email address and it's not very professional and you die every single time somebody asks you for it, but that's that's where it came from. And uh, I got talking to parents all the time, all the, all the time about their different challenges. And I realized that there wasn't there was that everybody was going through different things and it became a great platform i suppose for me to kind of share different opinions share different views i at the same time was writing a book um i i've my book was called um, The Real Mom's Guide to Surviving Parenthood" that was published by orphan Press. So I was writing my book at the same time and I was writing for all the broadsheet newspapers at that stage. And I was able, I got that chance to address the different issues. And the more I learned about different issues, the ones that I was aware of through living through it myself, through having children across all the different ages and stages, the more passionate, I suppose, I became about raising issues and the more I, I spoke about them. And then I suppose that progressed into becoming a fairly regular contributor on the radio and TV and discussing the different issues. I became maybe a confident to some people, which was a real privilege. There were a lot of parents who would trust me to share their stories, to tell me what was going on. I'd get an awful lot of messages and an awful lot of emails. And it's a real privilege to have people trust you like that and share their story with you. And then I had the opportunity to maybe raise these issues and discuss them. And had that, I suppose the group, that group of parents, because it does, they say it takes a village to rear a child, you know, and that village has very much dis- I think not only just because of the pandemic but before we were we weren't maybe raising our our families in the same way that we we used to you know we didn't have we didn't necessarily live next door to or close by even extended family members neighbors often didn't know each other because they were popping in and out to work it was all very very different so that virtual village it kind of it grew largely from there and then yeah I suppose writing writing in the papers is great because it does give you that chance to address the different challenges and chat about your own experience and thoughts on things and get some conversations going and open up discussions like that but I suppose at the heart of it really i just feel hugely passionate about giving children and teenagers a voice and and families a voice and and trying to to share those different perspectives and be heard be heard because sometimes it feels like they're not heard they're not we're certainly not heard enough
0: and in terms of the, the issues around obviously what's going on at the moment would you still have people contacting you now with emails and concerns and you know almost reaching out to you in that way during pandemic or during COVID.
1: all the time all the time Coleman i mean my my inbox my dms my my email inbox my across all the different social media platforms and the group that i run All the time there are messages coming in from distressed parents, from worried parents, from concerned parents, because sometimes I think it's hard to challenge the system. And a lot of the time people feel that they're alone. They're the only one going through this. They're the only one whose child is maybe struggling. They're the only one as a parent who's maybe struggling and they don't feel that they can speak up or if they have concerns you know particularly at the moment as we're homeschooling the parents are quite nervous to to raise issues with schools because they don't want to there's always that fear that it will come back on their child in some way you know there's that nervous maybe it's because we grow up and you do what school says and you know obviously we're the the, the school community we're, we're all one big community parents teachers all the people that, are, that make up that community parents i think are large a lot of parents anyway i speak to it, they're 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 nervous about raising their issues because they don 't want to be seen as a troublemaker or they don 't they fear that their child is the only person who 's struggling with a certain aspect or there is a parent or the only one who 's struggling with it so always actually at, at the moment it 's nearly there 's nearly more emails and messages coming in because the pandemic has challenged families so differently there the ask of families is not the same it seems the same in theory but when you're living in very different circumstances obviously it's a very different experience so there are some parents who are absolutely and utterly overwhelmed and totally struggling and can't see a way out of this and the prospect I suppose at the moment of further school closures which is I suppose where we are at the moment that's something that terrifies an awful lot of parents but there is that fear oh god if I say it am I if I say that I'm I'm really finding it hard will, will somebody judge me
0: and that mirrors exactly what we're getting in terms of the questions in and um, mm. lots of the questions are pandemic homeschool lockdown related that we'll go and talk about in a moment but can I ask you did you come from a big family
1: I came from a house of all girls, so there's four children. Four, my mom had four children, four girls, and so it was, I suppose, fairly standard by, you know, by, for my generation to come from a house of four girls, or sorry, not four girls, but four children. It wouldn't have been huge but I, I don't know where I got this notion that I always wanted this big family because I, I was, I'm as i the eldest so and my three sisters were born quite close in age. I'd never held a baby until I held my daughter. Like I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I mean, when the when she was born and I was comparatively young, I suppose. I was 24 when my first child was born. Again, not very, very young, but young by today's standards. And when they, when, when Chloe, I remember, she'll love me sharing this, but we're in the hospital and, you know, she did a dirty nappy as babies tend to do. And I remember calling the midwife and, saying oh she's got a dirty nappy <laughs> <laughs> going yes and and I honestly thought somebody was going to teach me what to do like there was I don't know where this whole idea came from that I you know the, like this whole notion of having a big family came from because as I said I was that inexperienced in having children but obviously it stuck around I did find it a really hard adjustment to motherhood I, I would have struggled to postnatal depression after six of the seven children something which only in recent years I, I'd have even spoken about publicly that was something I was deeply ashamed of because I felt I suppose like a failure and I also felt like why would you I suppose I felt judged why would I keep having kids if I kept getting it wrong and when I say by getting it wrong I meant by having postnatal depression all the time like you're you're obviously not very good at this if you keep having postnatal depression again as I said the sort of things you say to yourself very unkind but I am I still like that driver to have a large family. I love like I love a lot of the chaos. Don't get me wrong, there is there is are times like now when I'm in the car (laughs) and the way you're running to escape the madness and escape the noise and escape the constant mom, 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 he breathed on me, she looked at me, all those sort of things. But I I just love it's such a privilege to get to to see them all together and to when they're not killing each other, to see the kind of loving interactions that happen and to to see that kind of support that they have for each other and see how well that they often get on uh, together and how much they support each other I just I don't know how to explain it I just know I always knew I wanted this large family I'm sure if I was to be properly psychoanalyzed there'd be something (laughs) behind it but I don't I really honestly can't explain what the big driver was it wasn't from coming from a particularly large family myself I know even but my own mother and my mother-in-law were kind of really thought i was kind of crazy when i continued to have children as in why why would you do that and and there was certainly if you in my family when i had my first child was a girl my second child was a boy so you have your gentleman's family as they describe it so why would you have any more and that really missed that drive that i felt to have have so many kids
0: and uh, i think the other impressive piece is that uh you told your husband you wanted seven children when you were dating <laughs> and he's still he's still he's around. Still
1: he's still there he didn't run for the hills so you can't say he wasn't warned <laughs> but he I mean I suppose I remember my GP laughing at me one time and saying generally how it works is the mum says how many kids she wants to have the dad says how many kids he wants to have and they have the number the mum wants and that's the way it <laughs> goes and he, he was right he said like yeah he, he, um, he, I suppose he was like Paul my husband loves having a large family as well too I don't know would he have set out to have as many if I hadn't said oh, I really love having kids and it's great and stuff but he does seem to enjoy it as well and uh you know he he's he's great he's very hands-on he's when he's here obviously he's not he's like he's out working he's an essential worker so he's not at home during the week so that's why i suppose i'm finding the school schooling so particularly tough but he's a he's a real hands-on dad and he does get get in and get stuck in and i suppose i have that expectation that he would because my own father was very hands-on um I always think that it's kind of good for kids to see their dads being so hands-on and so involved and, and not expect that mum does everything because that's I didn't expect it. I, I thought, why wouldn't he be hands-on? My dad was. My dad got down and got stuck into everything too.
0: And just, so tell us what ages are your children now?
1: So my eldest is 19 now. So she's in she's in college. And then I have a 16, 14, 10. I'm going to forget somebody. <laughs> 10, that doesn't sound right. A 19... 16, 14, oh, I did forget somebody, 12, 10, <laughs> 7 and 5. My five-year-old has just started junior infants this year. So you so have one in college, two in secondary school and four in primary.
0: Wow. Well, who, who better to have on than <laughs> uh, your good self when it comes to this? So I, I, I was just saying, that we got a lot of questions which had similar themes to them, Jen. So what I was kind of doing was kind of looking at how could we work this out. So I'm going to tell it, we'll do the homeschooling ones first if you don't mind. Um, Absolutely, we're great. And so the school, the homeschooling questions, there was one question interesting said they were concerned that their child was getting very little input from school. Uh, Mm. And that was followed by an email from someone else who said their child is getting too much input from school and is overwhelmed. So um, there was other ones around parents who were struggling to master the tech and the apps and didn't want to be that parent who was kind of saying, I can't upload photos and I can't follow this sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. Older children losing motivation in the homeschooling yeah. issue and kind of becoming very disinterested, and lots of worries of concerns about children being isolated from their yeah. peers. So, with all that, I mean, let's just talk about the homeschooling issue in general. So, you've parents saying they're they're not getting enough input, others saying they're getting too. They're overwhelmed. Some children disengaging. Parents struggling with the the technology uh, and and the isolation from their peers. So is that is that what's your hearing and and what, where do we start when we discuss how to manage or survive this stuff
1: absolutely and i think i think there's something else there which i would have heard um that i think is a really it's a really difficult one for parents to raise. there is a lot of parents struggling with the actual schoolwork and so they they can't manage the schoolwork and that happens actually surprisingly early where you find parents maybe run into trouble by even sometimes fourth class, because you get into fractions, decimals, you get into that whole area of maths that maybe people are, are struggling with as we're going through secondary school, as parents getting lost. I certainly am hearing that too. And it is really, really hard to, nobody wants to be the parent who's going, sorry, I can't do this, or sorry, I can't manage that app, or apologies, you weren't supposed to get a photo of my dog there. It was supposed to be their work. And and it is, like, but, but there is that whole, you're afraid of being the one who's, who's it's kind of, causing more hassle for the school or more hassle for the teachers i think teenagers in this whole thing looking at the different aspects in the different age group i think teenagers are completely being overlooked here and i can understand why parents would have concerns because you know yourself the very nature of teenagers is they need peer support and they need motivation and they need that they need that interaction And the whole idea that we would leave them and they would be able to just manage it because they're old enough to understand totally forgets what teenagers are, the essence of who teenagers are and how important it is that they have all those other um, aspects to their education. It is certainly something that I have seen a little bit at home. It's certainly something I'm hearing from other parents. I'm hearing about that fear with the, with the technology, the fear and the embarrassment where parents are struggling with work. Perhaps even some of the parents have literacy issues too. And so are really challenged by the work that's coming home. Um, and they're trying to manage teenagers and children who are very upset at the, at the school closures. I think that the only thing you can really do here is have a word with the school and I do think maybe that parents would be surprised at how empathic and how sympathetic a lot of the school sorry all of, any of the schools that I've, I've spoken to the parents of they've all and I've, I've, I've spoken to them about this they've all had a really positive um, reaction back from the school and I think the schools are in a kind of a difficult situation here because the schools have to try to manage and to send out a set out an amount of work that suits all families and I know even within my own children's classes would have some people feel that maybe kids could manage more. Some people feel that we're being totally... Um, there's too much work being sent our way and then there's me going I can't handle anymore it's it's enough of a challenge as it is and I think that the schools are trying to balance that and the fact in fairness that teachers are also at home and trying to manage their own families I think it's a really hard one and I think it's definitely something the parents need to address with the schools and and share if perhaps they feel that it is too little or it is too much or that they're feeling overwhelmed because I think and I, it's certainly the same feedback I'd have heard is that schools will flag the most important things to get done whether that's focus on reading if it's a younger child or to focus on particular subjects where there might be a difficulty. For other kids, but I, I do think the schools that were not just closed off from them just because we're, we're remote learning now or homeschooling, and it is a degree of homeschooling. I know some, I've seen a lot of people argue that it's remote learning. If you have younger children, there is homeschooling involved. You have to actively participate and get involved in their lessons. They cannot do this alone. You cannot hand a screen to a young child and say, on you go now, log in and a seesaw and do as you need. You know, you have to actively get involved there. And with teens as well, you know, if you leave, I, I want to... Mo- one of my lads was rolling around on the floor there, thinking it was hilarious because somebody had muted the teacher, and the teacher continued the lesson, and the teacher didn't realise she was muted, and nobody in the class could talk. He thought this was all hilarious, and they go, going, "That better not be you!" And he swears blind it wasn't. Anyway, but you do have to keep that eye on on teenagers too. It isn't as easy as all that. As just as just backing out of the whole thing altogether. So I do think getting in touch with the school and explaining the situation, you'd be surprised. And, you, and you're and you not alone. Parents are not alone in feeling that. There are lots of parents struggling with different aspects of it. But I do think that we have to see beyond our own situation as parents, too. And when we feel the work is too much or it's too little, I think unless we give that feedback, you... I suppose unless you give the feedback the school can't know they can't work without the feedback but also you have to remember for those maybe that are arguing that it, it's too little the school has to try to work around everybody's situation and everybody and not every, there are frontline workers out there going to work every day coming home in the evening trying to do their little bit of homeschooling where they can there are people without access to technology there are people in unsuitable work and um, unsuitable home environments there's there's all sorts of reasons that that we can't have necessarily a full school day from nine to three, which I have heard some parents calling for, but, but that's not workable for everyone. everyone and it ha- they do have to work around that. But yeah, definitely go back to the school and I think flag to the school the issues that you're having. And don't be afraid that you're the only parent because you're certainly not. And, and look, that, that's our job. We have, to, we have to kind of flag those things to the schools if we're struggling, if our kids are struggling. It, it's not always easy, but um, it maybe makes life a little bit easier in the long run.
0: I think for me, and and I know, Jen, that when we've spoken before, we kind of share an opinion on this in terms of the. And before homeschooling, we had a a kind of a shared view on homework from the point Mm, of view of. Yes. And I'm not an educator, so I don't claim to know anything about the academic learnings. But from what I can see as being a parent and hearing the stories from young people, the potential cost benefit analysis of home of homework is has never and I understand the argument Mm. that you have to get them into the pattern of doing work at home but it causes so much fallout so much anxiety so much anger its impact on family relationships etc and when I speak about homeschooling I speak about it and I think you can be pro-parent without being anti-teacher yes from the point of view and there is a, a, a narrative out there at the moment that if you don't If you're not with the teachers, you're against them, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't almost speak out about issues that you might have because then, you know, you're trying to send teachers into their death. And uh, and it's not, I don't want to speak from that point of view, but from a parent point of view, the emotional well-being of your child for me is the most important thing. So whether they Uh, learn or whether they get the curriculum done or whatever the case may be, but a parent has to have the wherewithal to be able to say, actually, Continuing with this for another hour is going to damage mm-hmm. my relationship with my child, the atmosphere of this family, the atmosphere in this home, and the potential for him to finish out those four sums. The cost-benefit analysis there just doesn't make sense from the point of view of, and so I'm going to be the adult in the room here and I'm going to call it. And I've had to do that just on days where I've been absolutely swamped. And I, I've sent a message on the seesaw saying, we only got half this done today. Um, so-and-so was tired, or we had this or that, and I think we should feel okay about that, you know, from the point of view of the, and the 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 issue around the pressure, the stress, the anxiety, it makes me think, and I, I don't know your view on this, Jen, whether this is a good idea at all, from the point of view yeah. of whether if we'd have said, look, January is gone, let's mm-hmm. pull it, yeah. um, but maybe let's do july instead or you know, whatever the case may be and uh, because it's trying to do it with the and I, again i speak only as an emotional well-being expert the cost of that added to the isolation the dis- disconnect and all that sort of stuff mm. i just i would wonder if parents feel able to call it and say not today this is not working out today my own stress yeah. levels your stress le- levels etc but is it workable? Like we said, I, I no. don't believe it's remote learning at all. I mean, no. I work in a third level university. I know what remote learning is. Mm-hmm. This is not it. But, it, and I agree with the homeschooling. There's a, I know it's not the TUSLA registered process that you go mm-hmm. through, but uh, there is an element of schooling your child at home, which for yeah. me is homeschooling. But my question is, is it worth it? I think, Jen.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think so. I am very much in the same camp as you there, Coleman. I'm very anti homework <laughs> to, to start with because I have years of doing it and years even of look of helping students afterwards um, with homework. And I see when students are struggling in school, their preoccupation and oh, I have to get through my homework. And it just causes so much conflict in so many homes and so much upset. I don't agree with homework anyway. And it's now like what we've done is we've made we've made every day a longer homework day it, it is a I believe it's an utterly unworkable situation that we're in and I do think the parent voice needs to get louder here because we're hearing this constantly like you I would like to see the school calendar reshuffled and um, I'd like to see this period designated as holidays as awful as it is in the middle of a lockdown and we can't go anywhere and we can't do anything but these are extraordinary times and they called for extraordinary measures. And it, I believe we should be looking at the school calendar. There is this fear that the schools are not going to open again on the 1st of February. You know, if they don't open on the 1st of February, I don't think parents can really cope with the ask. And I don't think children can cope with the ask much longer. I think what's the saddest thing I'm seeing now is after the initial upset is the resignation. That's what you're seeing now, the kind of. This is it. So they're lonely. They're missing their friends. And in my house, there is no shortage of people. But they—that that is not the same as being around their friends, having their support, their school supports, having their routine, their structure. They're, they're all the other things that school offers. And instead at home, there's mum and dad losing the plot because they're trying to get their bit of work done and they're trying to see to all the different children's needs and they're asking somebody to shush while they're looking at their Zoom lesson or they're asking somebody to put their headphones in while they're watching a video that's been sent on on um, on um their Seesaw app. And they're, it's just causing untold stress. And the amount of parents who have contacted me who said they are in tears on a daily basis. Now, that isn't good for anybody because the kids are seeing this. The children are upset. The parents are upset. Where It's already really, really hard to look after your mental health at the moment. It's a really challenging time, the middle of a pandemic. You know, it's it's unprecedented times. I know they keep saying it, but it really is. And it's so hard. And I don't believe it's worth it. And I cannot understand why this conversation conversation isn't being had it's a you know it's a one everybody else has to change has had to change their situation at the moment and I am completely with you I think you can be pro-parent and not anti-teacher and it's a very there there is this there's been a divisive uh, really divisive conversation happening and there has been this fear where people are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of being branded anti-teacher or teacher bashing I have the utmost admiration and respect for teachers they are fabulous I'm so grateful to them for all they have done to keep kept their schools open but we cannot ignore the impact that school closures are having on children and families and we have to if we if they have to stay closed if public health advice says they have to stay closed then we have to find another solution and that is I believe to look at getting rid of January and like you said getting rid of January mainly it may be a case that we're not going to have much school in February either Pushing out the school year, moving the midterm, perhaps reclaiming some of the Easter holidays. Kids still need a break and families still need a break. So there will still need to be um, some days in the middle of there and taking back some of the summer. And I think an awful lot of kids, it would be more than happy to go back into school because last year what happened What was was cruel, the sixth years finishing without having any kind of closure whatsoever. The poor sixth class kids moving into like the the change from primary school to secondary school is so huge. And they didn't have that closure, they didn't have that transition period. There were so many missed milestones, so many shared experiences that didn't happen, or should have been shared experiences that didn't happen. And it was just cruel, especially as they go off as in secondary schools. Often children go off to a few different secondary schools. they're not together with their friends anymore and the junior infants I know you mentioned this too I have a junior infant this year and I think of the junior infants last year it's such a big stage in their lives and that was kind of pulled from beneath them and then they're in senior infants going back it's a different stage again Um, still they're still very small but they have missed that whole settling in period that the The fallout for children and families last year was huge. And I do, I suppose, this isn't where I'm the expert. This is where you're the expert and where further down the road. I don't know what sort of impacts we may see, but we can't just keep dismissing it with kids are resilient. They'll be grand because it's very dismissive of what they've been through and what we're continuing to ask them. So I really hope that this time, if further school closures are announced, if that has to be the case, because public health says it has to be the case, I hope that they will have a solution to give our children maximum time in school and not ask us to continue with this totally unworkable situation.
0: And and I think I agree. I, I, well, I do agree. But I, I mean, when people ask me about what the impact of this will be, and again, my area is not in academics, but in emotional well-being. And I do think the cost of the last lockdown emotionally was far more worrying than academically. And I hmm. still think that... like take out the fifth and sixth years who are there now who have had a, an awful run of it and you know it's been really turbulent for them but for those other groups i mean we still have a ty year that we can yeah. pick up academically down the line you know if if, the, if these things get lost a little bit but the one question that, and this is the last question i will ask you about the homeschooling issue it's one that i'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on uh, one question stuck out to me was from a lady who said her children are at 10 different primary schools her daughter's school are doing remote working but they have daily live class mm. on Zoom where the children are encouraged to interact online. There's been this has been a game changer for her daughter and it's so different from the last lockdown. Her son, who's 2 years older, is in a boys primary school. He has remote learning through Seesaw and has daily pre-recorded videos saying hi from the teacher and a series of links to online websites to complete tasks. There's no live contact with his teachers or peers. And her son, who was previously very social and loved school, is completely switched off. Mm -hmm. He feels completely disconnected. She's contacted the boys in the school who said, the the mum has contacted the teachers in the school who said they're not obliged to provide live sessions and have taken the decision as a group not to do them. Mum is really worried about her son and is concerned how he will manage if the school closure goes on much longer. Now, I did a Twitter poll a, a couple of weeks ago about this, and I asked parents how many were getting live Sessions versus those who were not. And it was 60% were not getting any Mm -hmm. live interaction and 40% were. The worry I have there, and again, this is not from an academic point of view, that's not a level playing field from the point of view of what some children are getting versus others. And I know we talk about children who have not got Wi-Fi and children from disadvantaged Mm -hmm. areas and and don't even, we can't even start to talk about children with special needs and their needs around that. But even for the generic children in school, there's a different level of intervention. And I'm only concerned with the primary school issue here. And I looked it up and the, they're right. The only thing that the, the, the guideline said was there has to be two-way communication. It doesn't say whether it have to be live or recorded or whatever the case may be. But from the point of view, and again, this is my view, Jen, and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. For me, that social live Zoom, even if it's a show and tell or something, seems really crucial to the connectivity and emotional well-being of the child. And and are we missing that? Are we not getting that? It, why do you think that's happening? And in, in this lady's case who rang in where she's seeing her daughter get one thing and her son get another. Have you any thoughts on that?
1: Yes, because I suppose my children go to different schools, and in primary schools went to different schools as well, um, to each other, and it 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 is hard when you see some children getting um even with the, even my children who go to the same school have different level, levels of interaction with their teachers. I am hearing from parents that a huge portion of primary schools have no live Zoom type classes at all, and that's really disappointing because I thought that this time around, that would change. I think it's essential that there are classes like that. That these classes happen. I see. I witness it with my own children, and I actually see the difference between the recorded videos that are also sent via seesaw and the action and the live Zoom interactions. And I see how animated they become during the the live classes when they can see their teacher, when they can see their peers, when they can connect when they can share what's going on in their lives, when they don't feel as as disconnected from school altogether, as opposed to my junior infant, the first time he watched a video um, sent by his teacher. And it was a lovely video. And he's waving and he's all excited, trying to talk to his teacher and he's getting nothing back. And um, so sometimes he gets a little bit confused between what's live and what's just a recorded video. So that that is really hard. I have spoken to several teachers and principals on this, and there's a few different reasons for it, it appears. One is GDPR seems to be a concern still. Uh, There's a worry about that. Another is that there is a request in some cases for parents to be present during live classes. And that can prove a little bit problematic if you have several children and you're one parent trying to be present for all of those. So they can't maybe do them too frequently because they have to work around different year groups to allow for parents to be present if they have multiple children. And then the other reason I'm being told that there are not a class there because teachers have children themselves and they're trying to manage them. But the end result is that the the vast majority of parents who have no or receiving no, or whose children are receiving no online um, interaction and no Zoom type classes, they're saying their kids are very disconnected and the battles are getting worse every day because it is just like having homework. It's just like having homework and mommy and daddy are basically becoming the teachers. So those videos can be set and they can be done and they can be fantastic videos and wonderful instructions. But if a child can't ask questions, Mum or dad has to step in and, and the child realizes that, again, it's just that they're being told what to do. But there is none of the, the two way conversation. It can't happen if it's a, re- a recording. So I think it's it's really, really important that there is that, that lo- those live interactions happening, but they're not happening, that that it is still something that is a big concern. And it is still something even today I got a message about from a, a very frustrated mother who actually she also had um, children in different classes or in different schools. And she said she just can't understand why, why the primary school wasn't sending more or said doing any, sorry, live zoom classes, why there wasn't anything like that. But yeah, that isn't happening again. And that's why I think when there, you'll, you'll see the conversation happen on social media, on Twitter, particularly, and I, like you said, homeschooling, it's not the same as registering with Tuzla and, and going down that road, but, it, to call it remote learning suggests that parental involvement isn't happening and without the live zooms it, it's largely parent driven those classes may be prepared and the work may be prepared but parents are having to pick up a huge amount of it because they have to be the interactive teacher instead so yes i think again if we're to if this has to continue i'm still hoping if if the school closures continue and um the children don't get back in february that they'll reshuffle the calendar. But if they don't do that, then we, we certainly need more interactive classes. Again, it does come with the problem, of course, if you're a frontline worker or an essential worker and you're out of school during the day and you've got somebody taking care of your children, which again is another thing of feedback. I'm hearing you've got a child being taken care of by a grandparent, but they can't ask the grandparent to homeschool as well because granny or granddad isn't familiar with the technology, or also they just it's too much of an ask of them to take care of their children on top or to, to look at um, doing the homeschooling on top of taking care of the children. So then they miss out on those classes later on. It's like this, it's just this impossible situation really, really hard.
0: And I think, I just think, and I have heard that. And when I did the Twitter poll, there was a lot of parents coming on saying, no, we don't have any live zoom things. Thank God. <laughs> you know, they were kind of yeah. because of the parental expectation and that, but I would say, and again, I'm not, Trying to anger parents out there, but if there is a potential emotional well being benefit from connecting with their peers in some sort of a show and tell, even half an hour, twice a week, yeah. something like that, uh, that I, I would think parents might need to revisit the importance of that for their child as well. I think when you're not getting it, you wouldn't know the difference, but it's interesting when this. When this listener who wrote in this email is saying, I see my daughter with it and I see my son without it. And to use her words, it's, it's a game changer from last mm-hmm. lockdown. So, as I say, I think, and I might have heard the news wrong this evening, but I do think we're extending school closures into f- for February as well. So we may... Uh, I would love it to be revisited. Um, Mm. If it's going to be two months, we need to think about, again, either looking at the calendar or or looking at a bit more live interactions. Anyway, we better keep going. So the next next couple of questions were about COVID worries, Jen. So they were like Mm -hmm. anxieties in children about getting COVID, anxiety about children giving COVID to their grandparents, excessive hand-washing, being obsessed with the COVID numbers and asking parents all the time, what are the numbers, what are the numbers? And then one person, mum had rang in that she is a mum and she is a frontline worker and she got COVID over Christmas. Now, she said she's recovered now and she's back at work. But her daughter, who's nine, is incredibly anxious and, you know, feeling that mum might get it again and all that sort of stuff. So in your home, how have you managed the the COVID worries or have you had any issues with children getting a little bit hypersensitive around uh, you know hand washing or or mm. hypervigilant around covid or has it affected them
1: it has it has to a degree i think again um i suppose the sad thing i'm seeing now is the resignation that they they don't see their grandparents and they haven't seen their grandparents in months um and and there's no sign of them seeing them anytime soon so the worries that they possibly had about um infecting grandparents aren't maybe a concern now because they don't see them anyway. That was the biggest fear at the beginning. I remember that when the when the pandemic first um broke out the my kids were going, well we have to make sure we don't give it to Nana or granddad or grana grump's you know we have to we have to be careful. So now they don't even they don't see them and, and they've just kind of accepted we don't see them anymore um with the restrictions. We don't live close enough. And then I suppose there's always that being aware that my husband's an essential worker. Um, and my teenage daughter as well. She has part-time jobs, so she's also working in the shop. So we're, we're very aware of trying to balance the risk there. I did have my youngest um became quite obsessed with hand washing too, kind of to the point that actually he was if you went into a shop and an adult went in and didn't um sanitize their hands beforehand, he was like a foghorn announcing it to everybody, you know, oh she hasn't washed her hands, you would have got it. So there was that it, it well, it sounds kind of funny laughing. Now it it has continued a little bit and it has upped its game again now. School is closed and I can hear him again if his brothers are even out for a walk they come in and he's gone have you washed your hands have you washed your hands we do have that kind of constant thing and I suppose how I'm trying to manage it is obviously he needs to have good hand hygiene that that's important that he has that but I'm reminding him they're washed we're fine we'll move on now and I'm gonna try to kind of distract him away from it rather than have him obsessing about it it isn't easy um it isn't easy to see your your little boy be so concerned about those things. And he is, he's very aware of the yellow signs of COVID and where you stand when you go places. He's very aware of that. And I think rather disappointing. I actually warned my kids today, it happened the first time around, it's happening again. Children are perhaps not as welcome on footpaths or anything like that uh, again. It happened at the beginning when that vector narrative was going around, and they weren't welcome in shops at one stage and the you know they were kind of viewed suspiciously if they were out for a walk and I can see there's kind of an intolerance starting to happen again. My daughter took her brothers to the shop just in the last couple of days and um, they were out for a walk, and she stopped by the shop uh, to get them uh, an ice cream. And, you know, there was a, an annoyance that they were there and there was an annoyance that they were part of the queue at all. And and, and that's incredibly frustrating as a parent, but it's also feeding back the message to the ch- that message to the children. And it's no coincidence that my little boy has now kind of picked up with the whole obsessive hand washing uh, again it's it's a hard one to manage we have certainly had the conversation at home about look we're trying you're, you're trying to balance it you know with with risk versus terrifying them I'm, I'm a bit more mindful now of what goes on the television because when they finished up school back in last march and the teachers very kindly were trying to prepare them and said look you know we're going we're just doing this to keep our grannies and granddads safe you know trying to play it down at the very beginning when we knew very little about about the whole pandemic and i remember my one of my boys coming in at one stage and saying I don't, I think this is worse than, worse than a cold because he saw the numbers coming in on the television. So there's, I suppose it's trying to be age appropriate and, and and talking to them in kind of an age appropriate manner. You know, numbers terrify them. So. The numbers, we try try to keep that away from the younger children. The older ones, the teens are certainly watching that too and they're concerned. But at this stage, they know people who've had COVID and they know people who've recovered from COVID. Um, sadly, they also know people who have lost loved ones from COVID too. And all I can do is assure them that we're taking the precautions that we can. We're doing the best that we can. We're following the public health advice to the best of our ability hopefully we won't catch it hopefully we won't but if we do hopefully we'll be fine and and it's it, there's a lot of hopefully's there you know and there's a lot of attempts at reassurance there but there's a, a trying to keep things in perspective too because it, there I don't want to catastrophize thing for th- things for them either because they have enough worries as well at the moment at the moment so I suppose I listen to what they say and then depending who it is I respond hopefully in an age appropriate way there is so many different ages discussing it all the time the teens are constantly aware I have spoken to them about not saying the numbers perhaps in front of their younger siblings so that they don't they don't become concerned because those numbers are hard for us as adults to digest for children it's just terrifying And, and having those kind of conversations so rather than dismissing them I suppose just offering what reassurance I can and I suppose when they're young enough, mum and dad offering reassurance, it really it goes a long way, you know. And at the teens, I suppose they have a better understanding. They have a, they have um, a better understanding about the whole thing, and and it's harder in some ways to protect them, but they don't have maybe the same anxieties because of that better understanding. But yeah, it is it's a really hard one.
0: It's really tricky, and I I, I suppose we would have seen a lot of this maybe early pandemic, and then maybe a little bit more of it around September, October, when schools are reopening but this what now is, is really, I'm really worried about that vector narrative I have to say. Mm. And I don't know what, when you were talking there about in recent weeks, I can feel it coming back again. And, and you know, we see ourselves through the eyes of the other. So if children are being scowled upon, that's, that has an effect on their self-worth, their self-value, their self-belief. Like they're not immune to atmosphere. They pick up on it. Mm. Um, and I, I really think you're spot on about trying to get that balance of being cautious but also being hopeful, you know, and trying to balance that out as as much as you can. The um, the issue around, I suppose, when when people are anxious, they overestimate the challenge and underestimate your, their own ability. And I think as parents, we're trying to put the challenge in perspective and you know, ensuring people that they can manage things a little bit better and you can wash your own hands and you can do those things without encouraging them to be vigilant and you want them Mm -hmm. to wash your hands, but you don't want them up till four in the morning thinking they're going to die. But um, the one thing I would say, and I think we can, you know, teenagers typically are not, especially teenage boys, maybe not the most articulate individuals in the world, but I've spoken to a few recently and said, you know, what's the worst part of the pandemic for you? And I was expecting something like no gas parties or all Mm -hmm. the 18s are cancelled or and a good number of them said not being able to hug my granddad or my granny, you know. And there's a real sense that, you know, they may have that kind of, not a tough exterior, but maybe a silent exterior yeah. around emotionality, especially towards their families. They're in that kind of, you know, a level of independence and autonomy and I need nobody. Um, but teenagers, they still crave that level of connection and touch and tactility. And, um, and many of them might have been, raised primarily by their grandparents you know in in terms of having really Mm -hmm. close relationships with them and i just would urge parents not to over dismiss that they might be although they may not be saying it they may well be missing their grandparents big time as well
1: yeah it is i mean it breaks my heart here to even think about it like um that my kids have actually got to the stage where they have stopped asking can they see their grandparents because they they just know and you know that there is that that kind of there is that underlying worry and that missing of that relationship as well because you know grandparents get to be the ones who spoil them and say that they can have foods that their mom and dad have said they can't have and who will do a separate dinner for them even though you're saying i'm trying to make sure he or she eats what everybody else eats because every every other meal times a battle and those sort of grandparents privileges and all those sort of different things or that affection like you said there that teen boys and teen girls as well but i think especially for teen boys because they're they're expected to behave a certain way i i think you know there's the societal expectation that teen boys really it's hard I think lads feel it that they shouldn't be emotional and they shouldn't you know they shouldn't crave hugs and they shouldn't crave that but that's fine with grandparents you know it's like that safe place to do that because it's my nan or it's my granddad or, and I think that is really hard and I know looking at my own kids they have worried and they do worry and they you know they like they heard me say something I mentioned oh I'll have to drop some shopping down to my mum and dad I said to my husband the other day and the little fella perked up and goes "Um." Oh, can I go, we're going to go to nanas and granddads. And one of the teens came. So can can we go, we'll go down. We'll have some dinner with them. I'm going, that's not nothing's changed. We can't, we can't do that yet. And it's so incredibly hard. They are definitely feeling it, but they're resigned as well. And that's, that's nearly the hardest part that they're resigned to this. You know, that there's, they're not, they're really not battling it anymore that they're this is this is life now and, and the same reassurances aren't you know going it's only for a couple more weeks it's only for we've been saying it's only for for so long it's, it's hard because time seems so much longer in their world
0: sure and i think and again it brings us on to the last point which was the and, and i'm gonna thank my 10 year old for pointing this out to me like I, the my six-year-old was wondering about you know will coronavirus be gone by the time he was talking about his friend's birthday which is usually at Mm. the end of january and i was kind of saying no i don't think it is and he said i hate coronavirus right and my 10 year old said you don't hate coronavirus you hate lockdowns and he Mm. was trying to make the difference between that it's actually not the virus that's the problem it's the what we have to do to not transmit it that's the problem i thought it was quite insightful and then uh, looking at the questions that came in there was a lot of questions around lockdown uh, and they came in around mood and anxiety in teens. That was a huge one. You know, teens getting sad or grumpy mm. um, big lots and lots of worries about leaving Certain students who missed half of last year. And again, students kind of complaining that they're getting absolutely swamped at work. They're trying really hard to, to maybe attend to the online classes and, you know, they're trying to do it in their room with their phone in their hand. Others getting obsessed with kind of diet and exercise over lockdowns. Yeah especially those who maybe have been heavily involved in sport and without yeah. having the training are kind of getting upset about that. And many children and parents I got about four emails about this, that they, their child is saying to them, I don't want to finish school. And I do think there's an issue around youngsters, yeah. maybe who were just holding on by a thread yeah. to right. school. I know personally people, somebody extended to me with that six month break, they never really got back into the swing yeah. of it after the last lockdown maybe we're just getting into it before christmas and now it's gone again and and i think these are the impacts of perhaps school closures that are lifelong you know from the point of view of we'll all catch up academically we'll all maybe bounce back Mm. to some degree but a child who had an opportunity to complete their education who won't now that's not something you can get back. But uh, it's very hard as a psychotherapist to differentiate between what is a kind of a collective grimness and a sadness versus what is depression and what is worry versus anxiety. You know, they're trying to Mm -hmm. draw those lines. All those lines have been really blurred at the moment for young people. And I know every therapist that I'm aware of is absolutely full. They have no space to see anyone. There is definitely a kind of a mental health pandemic at the moment, but for that kind of lockdown consequence, Jen, I'll, I'll finish on this, but for that Leaving Cert student, the, the kind of uh, anxious, moody, disenfranchised kid who maybe is missing their sport. And, and again, I say, I think this pandemic has hurt the child who's probably more involved in things, more than the one who's not. You know, the kid who's involved in sports mm-hmm. and a community and volunteering and all, they've lost so much Versus maybe the kid who's kind of Xbox in their room all the time doesn't really notice yeah. that much of a difference, which it seems a little bit unfair. But from the point of view of those teenage kind of sadness, worry, anxiety, leaving search, thinking of not going back to school, any advice for those parents?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and what you said there about the cohort who who will possibly not return to education. I mean, we all know school refusal is a huge problem and it's not as simple as a as a disagreeable child who decides he's not he or she is not going to school anymore. It is a huge concern. And I would have worked with children like that in the past who are just clinging on to school by their fingernails and and trying to the disadvantage that we put them at if they if they miss it like you said it's lifelong that that's the education's the great leveler I think that said yesterday we keep hearing this all the time so you know to deprive a child of that it puts them at such a huge disadvantage and it is and it, it's the same thing with teenagers again I do feel very frustrated on behalf of teenagers because I think whatever sympathy and empathy there is towards younger children teenagers have largely been expected to suck it up but get on with it you're old enough to know better and it's such a vulnerable stage and it's such an important stage of their lives as well and they're missing out on so much and along with what you said about the sports and things there are also some children who aren't sporty and perhaps they're into things like drama or singing or or music sessions and and stuff like that and while music lessons are perhaps happening online and dramas moved online and even singing maybe has moved on it is not the same for a lot of, of kids who find their place, who try to find their tribe and maybe aren't into sport, because the sport, the, at least the training for a period continued a bit longer. I know it's gone now, but the training in certain sports continued for a while. would say the likes of rugby and football and gather continued in pods of 15 for a while up to Christmas. And they had that maybe for a while, but for some kids, their activity shut down in March, and they still haven't come back. They still haven't got them back. Everything they've lost, everything. And you know yourself, the teenagers. They're such a challenging time, and as kids try to find their their people, try to find where they're accepted, try to find where they where they fit in, and to have those things taken away from them, it, then the the impact has been huge. the the workload is crazy that's being asked of of children and again I'd have heard this from from parents too this whole idea of trying to make up trying to catch up in addition to doing their maybe online classes all day to catch up with the homework catch up with the study put in the extra work and I can't work very effectively at the moment. I I don't know about you. It's really hard, not just because I'm homeschooling, but because it's really hard to distract yourself from the pandemic. And there is that grim feeling, that hanging over you, all the things you normally, all the tools you usually have available to you to stay well, they're gone. And and a walk, I know, yes, get out for your walk, do the things that you have to do. And it certainly helps. I took the dog for a walk at 11 o'clock at night on my own the other night, just to escape the four walls in, in the lashings of rain. It helps. But it's not maybe your your activity of choice still we have to do what we have to do but i do keep hearing this physical health must come first and it really dismisses the importance of mental health and the mental health impact that is being felt by teenagers um and by their families they try to support them too i don't think i I don't know i'm i we don't know yet i would imagine it sounds like the schools won't open and so therefore that I don't believe children will be left waiting to hear whether or not the leaving cert will go ahead for much longer. I think we'll probably have clarity on that soon. So those stresses are perhaps not going to be the same as they were on last year's leaving cert students who are wondering, will they won't? They, the junior cert students could be easily forgiven for thinking they've been forgotten about altogether because there's been near a mention of them possibly in the deluded um, intention of keeping them motivated again forgetting what teenagers are really like but I imagine the the junior cert won't go ahead either I imagine again that'll have to be confirmed but I would expect we'll hear in the coming days what's going to happen with the leaving cert so for parents who who are stressing about that we should have clarity on those issues soon in terms of supporting and keeping your kids in school or hanging on there, the children will say they don't, they don't think they'll finish. I think it's again time to get the schools involved. The big issue is, is when children turn 16 and they don't have to be in school anymore and you can't get the support from TUSLA and you can't get the help maybe that you need. But a teacher or a principal worth their weight and go will actually help, you, you know, have those conversations, have that level of interaction, you know, try and encourage them, trying to have that conversation that you're close to the end. It is only a short period of your life. Let's just get through it and then we can, you know, finish out school. And, and if, if you can, if you can encourage them there. The transition year students this year, it's a very different experience for them. And I know that a lot of transition year students are of that age. And certainly I'd have spoken to parents who who have transition year students who are hanging on in there. They were hoping transition year would give them that mature, that year of maturity to to maybe say there's two years left we'll get through it I'll have a second level education then at least and we can see where I want to go then but transition year obviously hasn't had the same appeal this year because it hasn't been able to it's nobody's fault it's just what it is but I do think talking to the teachers talking to the schools mental health and well-being has to be the priority it has the, people can't learn if they're not emotionally well so that has to be the priority above all but I, I think keep the faith we're going to know about the leave and very very soon
0: and I I always quote my colleague and friend Professor Jim Lucy, who says there's no health without mental health, and he's mm. absolutely right. And and I think from the point of view of for parents out there, and the message I'm kind of keep on reiterating through the whole series of the podcast is to give yourself a break. You can only do what you can do, and you know all you have is what you have. And if you if yeah. if if it, calling it a day, and you know, and to use a phrase my mother would say, a good run is better than a bad stand, and always yeah. saying look park it but Jen I'm I'm talking to you today and I I didn't realize you were uh, in education in a previous life and I I certainly didn't know that you had suffered from postnatal depression and things but for you Jen and if you're to listeners who are looking on how apart from walking the dog at 11 o'clock at night (laughs) what's your management for yourself to keep yourself in some way because you come across as very upbeat and you're you know I, I, you know and you almost embrace the chaos that is and that must be uh, <laughs> a parent of, of seven children but what's your go-to in terms of uh, and lots of people say wine uh, but uh, <laughs> it's
1: true though it's true and chocolate <laughs> <laughs> my go-to I think do you know what my go-to is I would say uh, embrace the online relationships which are re- you know again I know we've all had a lot our fail, I you know what you said about being upbeat and thank you for that. But I do, I like, we all feel better when we feel upbeat and I, I feed off conversations and interaction. I feed off people. The thing I'm finding the hardest at the moment is the isolation. Says so said she in a house with eight other people and a dog but with the isolation from, from the wider community. And I do think as parents, a lot of us even well, it's certainly my case. I don't know if it's the same for others, but from talking to some, it seems to be even our friendships have drifted a little bit because as people shut down their circle to reduce their contacts, they're focusing on family. And so they're not necessarily available. But having that conversation, if you were allowed to still exercise, if you can if you can get out and take that walk safely with a with a friend, it it can make all the difference in terms of having that conversation and using the online um, platforms too. I, I chat to people across social media all the time. And while I have lots of worried texts and DMs and all sorts of stuff coming in to me, I mean, I, I, I like chatting to people. I like trying to help us find a solution with people or talking through things. And sometimes a shared experience, it can help you feel an awful lot less alone in that so wine helps chocolate helps talking helps a huge amount getting to talk to people I get very excited any of the time I have to I get to escape the house granted or I get to talk to somebody um differently like if if I'm asked to come into studio for anything I'm out that door so fast as they're still going through the COVID rules you know and it is that whole that that is what I suppose it's knowing what you're you're struggling with the most and trying to find ways around that and and that's the part that i find the hardest i miss people i miss real life interactions um and and no i know that that's where i have i have to try and have those interactions and if they can't be in real life then they'll have to be virtual and that's that's what i do so i find chatting talking to people as i said socially that's that's the big thing find your village there are lots of actually online platforms lots of different um groups as well um where there's really supportive communities that you can reach out and have those conversations and then I suppose take it getting out for the dog with the dog for a walk is kind of like I'm not a great walker on my own you know it doesn't appeal to me but it was in the interest of of uh, there not being a murder in my house that <laughs> night, so <laughs> I was running out that door, and you I, do feel better for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and and I know that there was a kind of a hundred days of walking, and I'm doing that myself uh-huh. at the moment. I was trying to get a, a bit of a movement going around the hundred days of laughing because you know we have oh, to remember. Oh yeah, do. To laugh. we have There's to remember? A- there's
1: nothing like that that's exactly it. like i love it. they laugh at me in the house now because my my i only watch comedies really <laughs> like i just I, there is nothing like having to a, a belly laugh and having the bit of crack and even laughing somewhat at the situation that you know you're in making making light of it where you can there's some parts of it you can't make light of but the parts that you can and and that that feeling of connection and the bit of crack together 100 days of laughing i like the sound of that call like help me in. i'm signing up for that it just sound <laughs> it just sound really good um but i do think so i think it's doing the things that make you feel happy and I, at night time i would say as well as um working kind of late sometimes you have, i realize that it's hard to sleep if you're working late so even putting on you know something that i enjoy watching on the telly i do you do you need the both you need to get out and you need a bit of air and you need that interaction but sometimes just going, you know what? I'm going to do something for me. I'm going to sit there and watch something I like and it's, eat chocolate it's, it's at two because, in the
0: morning. It's um, <laughs> Alison Curtis had put on Twitter recently about the five things that got you through lockdown. And I was trying to yeah, think yeah. about it. And I had uh, cappuccinos uh, exercise, <laughs> uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Supermax. Uh, they weren't necessarily in that order. <laughs> but, you know, watching a few comedies and getting a bit of a laugh yeah. in, it's, it, it is important uh, and, and don't underestimate the value of it. I've, and as you say, chatting, I've loved this chat, Jen. I really enjoyed it. Oh, me it.
1: too, Colby. Thank chat. you for having me on.
0: And thanks a million for giving us what must be such precious time for you. I escaped um, the
1: house. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in the car office. It's great.
0: <laughs> and I'll let listeners know that the reality of Jen's life, Jen is sitting in a pitch dark transit <laughs> van out on <in> the side <laughs> of a road doing this podcast. It's an absolutely fantastic feat, but um <laughs> If you have any questions, get them into us on gmail.com, or if you have anything that you'd like to discuss, get in touch with us through the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages. But my huge gratitude to Jen Hogan, who was our guest today on the Listener's Questions episode, uh, who we've gotten through a lot of things. And here's a tip for everyone. It's something I, I started this week. If you're listening in, uh, when you're doing your homeschooling, set a clock that on the hour you hug every child in the house and just go around and hug them no matter what row has happened before and i was kind of doing it this week and trialing it out and it actually worked to kind of break a bit of tension but also it's this is remembering this is who we are but this is what we have to do and i think that's my tip for this week so hourly hugs uh within your bubble obviously um but um (laughs) uh it goes a long way and it worked for me this week so i'm passing that little tip on to you again jen hogan you mind yourself Keep walking the dog and we'll chat to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. That was the brilliant Jen Hogan there. And again, Jen's insights and honesty into the struggle of what it is to be a parent at the moment is really interesting. And I think she has so much good things to say about what many of us are thinking at the moment in terms of this is really kind of unworkable. And many of us are being asked at the moment to do the impossible. And I just think the message of, you know, all you can do is what you can do you just have to try and do enough and really try and ease that parental guilt and also a call out for some degree of plan or strategy around the schooling situation for our children which i think as the longer it goes on the more stress and unsustainability that's involved in that so i'm really grateful for Jen's advice insights and humor on this week's episode and i really 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 enjoyed that chat with her so If you have any questions, you can get them into us on askingforaparent at gmail.com or through the Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. And we look forward to chatting with you next week. But until then, take care, stay safe and bye for now.